0: The book and the podcasts are about you being true to you, whatever that means, that there is room for the diversity that we all have. Because without that, everybody becomes someone who thinks like me. And I just can't imagine a world like that. I can't. I wouldn't want a world like that. But we need to not separate ourselves and not silo ourselves. We need to accept it in a way that makes us all better at being human.
1: Welcome to Edge Talkers. I'm your host, Todd Lennox.
2: Taoist, Buddhist, Muslim, Jew, Christian, Hindu, chosen.
1: Those are just a few of the topics we will be discussing and the people we will be hearing from on Edge Talkers. Thank you to Matt Venuti for graciously letting us use his song, The Rhythm of Life, for our intro and outro. You can download this song and check out the rest of his songs and albums at mattvanutie.com that's M A T T V E N U T I and indeed in this rhythm of life we are all in this together
2: we're all in this the rhythm of life rhythm of life
1: edge talkers is about taking conversations to the edge with anyone bible thumpers hardcore trumpers atheists deists and those in between us Conversations at the edge of reason, the edge of comfort, the edge of purpose, the edge of reality. No subject is too out there or too fringy to discuss. But we will be concentrating on questions like, Is our present way of life sustainable? And if so, for how long? Is Mother Earth a living being? How do you talk to Uncle Bob about global warming when he's wearing his MAGA cap to Thanksgiving dinner? And... Underlying all of our questions, as Charles Eisenstein puts it, what's it like to be you? We are with Linda Lombardo. She's been a co-host and also hosted a conversation with Becky Suzik, which was a beautiful conversation between the two of them. Uh, But Linda's on the other side of the microphone, as it were, today, and that may be a different sort of experience for us both, but I'm really looking forward to it. As I mentioned to Linda just a few minutes ago, even though in real time we haven't known each other so long, I feel like we've known each other for a long time, and Linda, I feel like this is a conversation that it's been a long time coming. Pachamama Alliance is where we first met, and we're also in Charles Eisenstein's Living in the Gift online course, which I highly recommend. I'm I'm resetting my whole way of thinking about everything by participating in this course, and it's been very powerful for me. And now you have written a book, and your book is called In the Soul's Waiting Room and the subtitle is A Spiritual Awakening Through Radio Drama. I don't think I've ever come across a book like this before, a book that's based on a spiritual awakening through radio drama. (laughs) So my first question is, where did you come up with this idea?
0: Well, Todd, you know, thank you for having me on, first of all. And yes, I am on the other side of the microphone, and it feels really odd to be there. Sometimes, even for me, it's difficult to go back and say, so how did this all begin? And there's quite a bit at the beginning of the book that talks about the elements that brought this all together. The first that I think is worth citing is a year long leadership program with the Coaches Training Institute that I took back in 2011 one in which where, when we began, we were told that at the end of the the year or the 10 months, we would come out at the end knowing how we wanted to show up in the world as leaders. And we would have a quest, a leadership quest, no kidding. And no kidding was really what was said to us. Mm -hmm. So there was this moment of, well, good, finally, because searching for purpose, which I talk about and which I coach others in, sometimes has been elusive for me. I consider myself a renaissance soul, which means I have competing devotions. I love so many things. I'm interested in so many things. It's a challenge to get to the source and say, here's here's what the purpose of all this is. So in that leadership program, in one of the last sessions we had together as a group, I was so moved by what my tribe members were offering as their leadership quests. Everything they talked about to me seemed to be needed in the world, needed big time. And I raised my hand and said, you know, I don't know if this is a quest or not, but all these voices need to be heard. And I think my quest is to create a radio program that will turn up the volume on these voices. They're not famous voices, So often they don't get heard. I believe it's important that their message is out there in the world, that we know that there are people doing this compassionate and sustainable work. So that was step one. Step two began, and and I'm really simplifying this, when I attended a workshop called Play Your Bigger Game, which was led by Rick Tamlin and Shannon Kelly, two coaches training institute leaders, colleagues, friends, and uh, Rick was also one of my leaders in the year-long leadership program. And I went in thinking that I was going to find help with the radio program. And what came up for me was really a surprise. What, uh, th- there was a series of, of activities, of questions, of explorations, and what kept coming up was this, this loss of my own spirituality. It wasn't what I planned. In fact, I fought it because it wasn't really what I came there to do. And at some point, I just had to give into it, give up to it and say, I, "This apparently, this is what I'm meant to explore. Mm. And so I left with this feeling of knowing that we are connected, all of us, all living beings connected on such a grand scale that we can't even fathom it. And that there was something really important there for me to keep looking at. And so I left with that in mind, thinking that I hadn't really gotten anywhere with the radio program. And then again, another period of time passed, life went on, and I had this voice in my head one day, why are you only interviewing real people? Now, I I didn't really know what to do with that, because I'd been on the air for a couple of years, and as far as I knew, all the people I'd interviewed were real people, (laughs) really wasn't sure there was another option, but I do have a theater background. I have a performance background. I have been writing since I think I was six or seven. I still have my eighth grade science project somewhere, which was a skit where I humanized the body and the brain and, you know, the big moment in the script was the burp you know, and everybody's preparing for the burp like it's a nuclear attack. And so I've always written, I've always had this kind of (laughs) twisted or strange view of the world, I'll call it, and uh, twisted in a good way, I think. And so I started to think, well, what does that mean? Why am I only interviewing real people? And for a time, I thought, well, you know, it would be interesting. I could take literary characters. I could just create this fictional podcast and interview fictionalized people, uh, interview people who are no longer living, and, and just have some fun. Now, nothing really came out of that, and and that was probably a good thing. But at, at some point, I began to wake up in the middle of the night. You know, the world was changing. Now it's 2015, going into 2016. I live in the United States, and so that kind of explains it all. I don't know if I need to say more than that at this point. And I'd wake up at about three o'clock in the morning, with a story in my head, and I just had to get up and start writing. And often I would write until whatever the story was, was complete. My alarm would go off in the next room, and i think, well, great. I have a whole day ahead of me, and I haven't really slept very much. And this began to create what now I call In the Soul's Waiting Room, a series of 11 podcasts broadcast as real interviews and at the same time, clearly stating that they are radio dramas. It had this feel of, if you can recall, um, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. I always remember my dad telling me that when that radio broadcast came on, he was afraid she was listening and she would think it was real. And sure enough, she did. She thought it was real. (laughs) So I didn't want to scare anybody. (laughs) I just wanted this element that you're listening and you say, I know they said it was a radio broadcast and yet there's real science, there's real spirituality, this could be a real conversation going on. I, I just wanted that element of, of push pull about it.
1: Yeah. I do remember those radio dramas when uh, you have the sound effects and the horses hooves and the doors opening and closing and all of that. I, those radio dramas were all about creating imagination much, much as reading a book is.
0: I should say I lived in Winnipeg, Manitoba for a short period of time and I did some radio dramas for the CBC and that's where I fell in love with radio drama Mm. and there was a sound effects person making the sound of the train or the door closing, the squeaky door of course, you know, there was (laughs) a squeak and then the slam of the door and the horse's hooves and all those sounds and I just fell in love with it.
2: Mm.
0: I thought it was the most amazing thing and of course there it was broadcast because there were parts of the province and the provinces around mm. where television just you just couldn't get television reception. Television had yet to get there. Even in the I would say it was the nineteen late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties, there there was no television. Radio drama was it for entertainment.
1: Mm. Well, I really love how this workshop experience Kind of wasn't what you set out for it to be, and it brought some deepness to your process that allowed you to have this uh, these talents that you've that you've had with the with the drama and the writing and the acting and the the voice. Uh, you know, it really allowed you to open up to include a lot more of you in these radio dramas, and I, and I think in the book, too. Just I just want to mirror back for a second to our conversation with Rebecca Rogers, who informed me, because I'd never heard this before. I knew, I knew Achuar Dream Culture, but I didn't know they woke up every morning at 3 a.m. to share their dreams and inform their day and what was going to happen. And that's really what you've been doing as well with your writing, getting up at 3 a.m., in that zone i guess
0: i didn't know that either i was really surprised when rebecca said that and it it resonated so powerfully with me it, the the research i did on the 3am wake up says that it, it is supposed to be the time which the veil between the worlds is the thinnest mm-hmm. and so when she talked about the ashwar and their waking up to, at 3am to talk about their dreams It really had a profound impact on me because I had no idea.
1: Well, you've opened the door here to some personal journey work that you've done that's led you to a lot of your activities. I wonder before we get into the content of the book, you could talk about how you've been affected personally by this journey and a little bit more about you as a person with regards to all of this.
0: Sure. I'm happy to do that. And what, you know, as you said, I've opened the door now. So you just activated another five or six stories in me. So I do want to remark on it. When I was trying to figure out who I was, what I wanted to do, and, you know, and I've done many, many different things. I came across a book called The Renaissance Soul by Margaret Lobenstein, the late Margaret Lobenstein. And I was working in the corporate world at the time and I was in the break room having lunch. I opened the book. I don't think I got more than five or six pages. I closed the book. I went back into my office and I looked up a phone number for Margaret Lobenstein, Hmm. and I called her because I was so excited by what I'd read. I felt as if she'd written the book for me and she became one of my first coaches And in our first phone conversation, I I share this in the book, I said to her, I'm interested in so many things. I'm passionate about everything. I always want to know why and what does it mean and how does this work? And so it's very hard for me to rein this in in any particular way. And Margaret, in just a very calm, steady voice, said, Linda, I'm going to hang up the phone now. You're going to write down your life purpose statement, and then you're going to call me right back. And before I could say anything, I heard this click. <laughs> and I thought, are you kidding me? She just hung up on me. And she expects me to write down a life purpose statement after all these years, after, after telling her I'm struggling. Well, I, I said, all right, here I go. And so I wrote something down quickly. And I called her right back. And she said, yes? Yes. You know, it was just it, it was just the most amazing thing. <laughs> and I said, "All right, here's what I wrote down: I open doors to possibility." Mm. And she said, "Great, let's start." And that was my experience with um, with the late Margaret Lobenstein and understanding that your purpose is not an it. It's not to become something. It's really to find the something in you. And this journey is all about bringing together all these parts of me. What's changed with the radio dramas and the book is that I literally made the time to sit down and ask all the questions. I've often joked and said, if you ever looked at my search engine history during the time that I was working on these radio dramas... Hmm you would have probably come and locked me up you would have been very afraid like what's going on with this person <laughs> and there were there were times where i was actually afraid to type words in because i thought really am i really going to look this up am i do i really want to open the door to this do i really want to understand what this is about and so there was a personal challenge what the bigger game refers to as the gulp moment, many times where you're thinking, I'm really going to do this, aren't I? And you know that in order to get to the next step, you have to do it. So that was big for me, being able to get to all these questions I've always had and just never seemed to have time to ask. And when I was a little girl, if I asked questions, if I challenged the story, and story plays a big part in this, It really wasn't appreciated. In fact, I say that when I would question, as a lapsed Catholic, when I would question what happened in church, when I would question why the priest was yelling at people about something, usually I got home and I got punished because you didn't question that. That was the story, and we're sticking to it, right? That's the story, we're sticking to it. And that story defined my parents, it defined the people around me, And and nobody likes their story challenged. If it defines who you are so much so that it can't be challenged, that that's where a lot of this conflict and polarity comes in, in the world. So I challenged my own story with the writing of these radio dramas. And my premise was, I needed to know what I believed in, and I needed to be able to act on what I believed in. Trust me, this is still a work in progress. There is no better than or lesser than. There is only this is my journey, and I don't know that I would ever recommend it to anybody. Uh, when someone tells me they've bought my book, I we say thank you, you courageous courageous soul, because I know what it took to write it. I, I know what it took to listen to it, and uh, and the book does have questions at the end of every section. So someone, if they choose to can ask themselves those questions and can journal about what they believe in and, and do their actions really align with what they, their beliefs are. That was really important to me. So, so I guess, you, you know, if, if anything has changed me, it was coming up with my own belief system that works for me. Might not work for you, might not work for anybody else. It works for me, and, and that was what felt important to share with the world, or at least whoever was listening or who was reading.
1: In your book, The the Keeper, talks about three lenses. And I think this relates to these beliefs or these stories that you're, you're talking about. And can you talk about the three lenses? What are they? And why are they so important in in the book?
0: It came out of the 3 a.m. wake-up calls, It didn't start with three lenses. The three lenses developed as the scripts were being written. And it is really the story of everything. It's the container for everything. There is one thing that impacts another, that other impacts a third, then it goes right back to the first thing and impacts it again. So simply, the three lenses begin with the first lens, which is the human soul connection. And this is who we are as humans being directly related to who we are as souls. And as it turns out from my research, souls are as complicated, if not more so than humans. There are soul ages and types. There is a coding for a soul, the goals of the soul, the attitude, there are obstacles and chief features. And there's a purpose that because of of the age and the type and the coding that this soul comes to the earthly realm to grow, to learn, to evolve. I also believe in past lives. I've I've had a a lot of work done where, uh, you know, fears in this lifetime. And someone said to me, well, that comes from a past life. And, And oddly enough, you know, talk about a shift in story. When someone said that to me, the fear became less so, it became so manageable. And I would say, it has nothing to do with me right now. So I'm gonna acknowledge it and I'm gonna move on. So that kind of shift in a story, who would have thought that it could be, I don't wanna say easy, but that it could be so malleable that if we're really willing to change our stories or, or listen to, a, to the possibility of a different story that it could change us. So there was that whether or not you believe in souls, my story was the soul comes with a purpose for itself. It's where the title in the soul's waiting room came from. It's where the keeper of soul's purpose, this energy that has this list that comes from somewhere. And in fact, there's a blog that I wrote where the souls are in the soul's waiting room. The keeper starts to read from the list. And there are all these amazing things that are being offered and uh, souls are raising their their virtual hands, saying, oh, pick me, pick me. I want to be that. I want to, you know, that's what I want when I go to the earthly realm. Hmm. And then there's this one that kind of mirrors my purpose, this opening the doors to possibility, this being a voice for the voiceless, uh, helping to share voices for those who might not necessarily be heard. And nobody in the room raises their hand and if you've ever had this experience of sitting in a room of people where they're looking for a volunteer and you're thinking, Oh, come on, somebody raised their hand. Some it's, it's not me. I don't want it to be me. And then you're like, Oh crap. I raised my hand and I like, now it's mine and I own it. (laughs) And so I felt there was that element of um, sometimes our soul's purpose or how it's going to manifest itself as an earthly purpose is not always something we're so excited about. But it's, you know, we need it. We we choose it. Nobody else chose it. So it must have been ours. So there's that first lens. And again, as a speculative fiction, that's how the book is written. So I, I really do want to express that. I'm not trying to put my beliefs on anybody else. I just want my stories to activate somebody else's beliefs. So the second lens is, is, is the environment. Our family, our friends are part of this, what's going on culturally, socially, economically, geographically, environmentally, all of, all of that. And we, we struggle here a lot because these well-established stories come with the disclaimer that if they're true or if they're good enough for me, then they have to be true or good enough for you, except when they aren't. And that we each have the ability to create our own story. But we have this foundation in story that we're born with. And that, that thinking often gets us in trouble, right? So, you know, don't challenge my story. I've built my life around that story. But on a bigger scale, our environmental stories also include the establishments or the systems that govern us and support us. They entertain us or they comfort us. And we accept these stories often as everlasting, never changing. And we are shaped by those stories. One of the episodes, which was very difficult for me to write and put out there, was proposing, or the keeper proposes, that the the sole purpose of Gandhi and the sole purpose of Hitler might have been the same. And the interviewer is just appalled. (laughs) The interviewer has had family. Who, um, who, some of which lived through the Holocaust and most of which did not. Mm. And, and he asks, how is that even possible? So let's say they had this, this same soul's purpose to explore as young souls, perhaps, to explore their influence and power in the world. But shaped in the human realm, in the environment, the second lens, they both turned out very different and soul's purpose will always find a way so that was the premise of that in the stories that the same soul's purpose could turn out so different because one of the things i believe is that even though there are tragic horrible things even let's well, let's use the word evil for a moment happening in the human realm i really cannot accept that a soul would be created or that a soul would be that would exist and would be committed to eternal damnation for its actions. Mm. I can't accept that because I, I truly believe that the universe is love. And so in that love, where, where could there be room for eternal damnation? I just, I don't see it. I'm, it's still part of my journey to explore and figure out. So that was also a premise in that. And then the last lens, evolution. And evolution doesn't mean better. Evolution isn't an adaptation to change, to the environment. It is a lasting adaptation. It is a way that a species, it's a way that a planet attempts to ensure its survival. So evolution could include physical changes, neurological changes, cultural, social, environmental, gender, sexual revolutions, uh, the reduction or expansion in diversity of species. So the first lens, the human soul connection, is influenced by the second lens, the environment. And both those lenses influence the third lens, evolution. And then, because this is how we are evolving, it goes right back to the first lens again. And and that list of soul's purpose begins to shape itself to comply, to collude or to dance with what's happening in evolution at the moment. It's not a simple story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think we're in danger of not fulfilling the name of this podcast, Edge Talkers, with this conversation. <laughs> I mean, just speaking about Hitler as someone who was fulfilling his soul's purpose, that's that's pretty edgy.
0: And in such a misguided way. I mean, in the human world, like, you, you know, horrible, horrible man. I, I can't express that enough. I don't want somebody to think, I've removed myself from being human or removed myself from humanity so much so that I can say, yeah, well that's all. I I there's a there's a both and here. We live in our human stories. I live in my human stories. I I you know, I I am in the pain of the world right now as mm-hmm. a human being. Yet I've also got this other story going on in the back of my mind about how is this really playing out in the term that I use is all that exists without explanation. Mm -hmm. Because even though we've tried to explain everything, we can't step back far enough to really understand who we are, what we are, why we are and all of that. There is a mystery and an astonishment that I think is part of our world and part of being human. So I don't ever for one minute want that premise to come across as it doesn't really matter because we're really souls and souls live on. And even though the keeper may say that from time to time, he might say, you know, some things are by design whether you choose to believe that or not. That's his story. That's his perspective. And it's all designed to awaken, inspire and activate who's ever reading or listening. into their own thoughts and beliefs it needs to be thought about because we're in such a precarious place in the world today we can't stick our heads in the sand well some of us can because maybe that's our role because it will activate those of us who are saying come on come on wake up we're all playing a part i i once interviewed um kelly carlin george carlin's daughter and expressed to her that it it takes a really courageous soul to come to the earthly realm and be possibly the most hated human being on the planet. And you can apply that to anyone you choose to, living or dead right now. And we laughed about it. We said, oh my God, I've never thought about it that way. That this this is a really courageous soul, but maybe the most hated human being on the planet. So, you know, what came out of it? What was activated by it? How did we change our stories as a result of it? Did we? Mm. Because sometimes it takes a lot for us to change our stories. And, you know, the question, when is enough enough, comes up a lot in the podcasts.
1: In the conversation about maybe some people are here, you don't really know why they're here, or they're here just to activate other people, you know, going back to the Hitler and the Gandhi parallel or juxtaposition. What, how, how does the soul purpose and the human purpose relate to each other? And th- can it be the human purpose or the human being just never knows what the soul's purpose is? Or, or is there a way to sort of align those purposes, you know, to discover your soul's purpose and then get your body and your mind around the project, <laughs>
0: Well, see, now you're asking me to make up rules and stories about it.
1: Yeah, I want to I know. <laughs> I, this is me you wanting know, to right? know. You want
0: the definitive answer for yeah. someone who is, is, you know, is interviewing people who aren't real. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I don't know what a great question that is. I, I, I think soul's purpose always finds a way in, in what we need, what we, what we want from the world, and how we go about getting it has to do with the the human purpose. You know, I went, one of the things, and I'll go back to the late Margaret Lobenstein and 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 I can relate to this. In her book, she writes, just a litany of all the things she's been in the world. And then she says, where do you think I used my life purpose? And of course the answer is in all of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, I've been an actor. I have... I've been a volunteer for wildlife. I have been a corporate manager of management and leadership development. I facilitated training. When I was young, uh, you know, I, I worked at the now defunct Woolworths and, you know, made keys for people.
1: There's a metaphor. I,
0: well, uh, yes, I was, I was actually just thinking that. As you <laughs> said, that let's open some doors, so I'm making keys. But, but there, there it is. I'm opening doors to possibility. Even in retail, helping women feel beautiful about themselves, working in a a shop where there was a a great deal of personal concierge service to women who would come in with the most challenging stories, uh, either of of, uh, physical challenges, of having had surgery, or not feeling well, or, or having the most difficult emotional stories about how they felt about themselves and setting a goal that when they left they were going to feel beautiful about themselves and what they were wearing and I got hugged more working retail than I did as a you know than I do as a life coach so there's something about that that I really I guess I should explore I'm not sure sure what that means but I used to get hugged and Kiss, thank you so much. I can't, oh, I feel so good about this. Now I can go and be with this family or I can stand on the stage and speak about something, you know. So I, no matter where I am, opening these doors to possibility for, for someone is at play. I, in the human realm, I've done it through all these different roles. It's only when we think it has to be an it that we get stuck and think we're not living our purpose. We're missing a really key element of enjoying our own lives, even at a time where we think there's nothing enjoyable about it, that we can be in our purpose and in in whatever life situation has for us. That's probably the easiest and simplest and shortest way I can answer that.
1: Thank you for that. We're both in this Living in the Gift course with Charles Eisenstein. And Charles speaks a lot about being between stories. So there's a sort of ancient story that's kind of, you know, indigenous populations. I would say more know than believe, but it's probably a belief as well. And then there's, as Pachamama Alliance puts it, the dream of the modern world, which are all kind of caught in unconsciously. And then there's this new and ancient story that Charles speaks about, that's, you know, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible to steal once again from Charles.
0: <laughs> He's very steelworthy, worthy by the way.
1: Very He's... steelworthy, worthy yes. You're involved in all those things, Pachamama Alliance, Charles Eisenstein, your own internal work, and then your own work with other, you know, human beings in your coaching practice. Where do you see this between stories that we're supposedly in right now? And what do you see or do you see a sort of vision for this new and ancient story, as Charles puts it, or just this hope for humanity coming to a place of peaceful coexistence with our living Mother Earth and with each other and all beings? I mean, you, you have, I think, a good, really workable way to see all of this. And, you know, how does the keeper see this? How do you see it as the keeper?
0: So I'm activated again in lots of different ways by the, the question and all the references. The the other piece I think that's important to know about me is that in the last two years, I became certified as a forest therapy guide. Mm-hmm. And the the logo of which is, not to be lost in this conversation, the forest is the therapist, the guide opens the doors. (laughs) So there we go again with the door metaphor, right? Yeah. The idea of reconnecting people to the natural world, letting a regenerative culture, a regenerative system inform us, which the forest is nature is a regenerative system. And Charles is a more beautiful world. I am so struck by the beauty of the world every single day. This morning, I think it was 5.30 in the morning, I got up. I looked out my kitchen window and there was the moon. In Crescent, although you could still see the whole moon. And to the upper right, Venus as bright as it possibly could be and I ran to get my camera and I'm outside in my bedroom slippers I'm trying to get a photo of this and of course I you know, I just don't have the camera to do to do that So I stopped and put the camera down and just stood outside at 530 in the morning looking at the moon and Venus That's what we forget We've, uh, the same thing holds true for any beauty in the world. More often than not, we walk right by it. I think for me, everything is coming together to say it's all about noticing the beauty of the world. It's, it's about making it personal. And the Keeper talks a lot about this. In fact, every so often the Keeper has some judgment. And that's because he's using a third dimensional voice, a human voice. And he says it's, it's really very difficult not to let judgment or cynicism slip in when you're using it. But he's talking about, in uh, episode three, he talks about the environment. He talks about climate change. And he says, you know, a a gentle reminder about how ego is so ingrained in your stories and and how we siloed ourselves from the rest of the world. He says at one point, an entire planet dying Because you can still have someone make your venti, non-fat, no foam, no water, six pump, extra hot latte is unforgivable. And I realize there's no way to make that sound anything other than judgmental. Forgive me. Mm. So he also asks, how personal must it become for you to stand up and say stop? And I think about, I mean, just what's happening in the news in the last week or so. California is still in ruins. Flint, Michigan is still in ruins. There are still children being held in confinement camps. These are only a couple of things. Mm. And yet, you know, I got up this morning and I pressed the button on my coffee maker mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and got my honey, vanilla, coconut milk creamer out of my fridge and had a cup of coffee while I looked at the
2: moon mm-hmm.
0: and, and Venus. And I'm not wrong for doing that, but there is a big yes and here
2: Mm.
0: about how personal does it need to be before we can no longer let our comfort pass as everything is okay in the world right now and what's happening to others is only happening to them, not me. We're all
2: in this together.
0: You talked about a peaceful world. Mm-hmm. You talked about finding peace. And so, what does that mean? It, you know, even the keeper says to the interviewer, "Can you imagine what that world is? I mean, really imagine it down to the details." Mm-hmm. And the interviewer says, "Well, no, I I can't. I know. I just know that we say, you know, here's what I want. I want peace on Earth. Can't we just get get along? Can't we live together and do no harm?" Until you can really imagine it into being, it's just a phrase we use. Mm-hmm. It's part of a story that we hold about, yes, I want there to be peace in the world. But what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Begin to imagine that. Begin to create that in your own stories. Or you're only creating this pseudo utopia. Like, you know, I keep going back to um, what was H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Where at the end of the, you know, they go into the future and there's this just strange world where there's just no purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what we're talking about. I think we're talking about a world where we can still appreciate the beauty that Charles talks about. Change the dream of the modern world that the Pachamama Alliance and the Ashwar talk about. And yet we still have this humanity about us, the, the joys, the grief. It's all still there. But it's not us hurting each other and it's not us hurting the planet and other yeah. living beings. It's everything that living as humans encompasses. That was the thing that I wanted to add based on what you said.
1: Mm, thank you. It reminds me of Reverend D, you know, Reverend Deborah Johnson And her phrase, pain pushes until vision pulls. You know, she says sometimes you need some pain to push you. Like they talk about bottoming out when you're addicted or when you have some sort of habitual behavior that's causing you harm. When you get to the point where it's just more painful to keep doing that than to stop, then you stop. Then she says that won't sustain that behavior. What sustains the behavior is when you get to the point where the feeling and the promise and the vision of being living a sober life is so much more enjoyable than living the addicted life. She does a really brilliant exercise of leading you into a guided meditation where you see that world that you're talking about, you know, that more beautiful world. It's so much more powerful to come from that space, when you're talking about environmental sustainability, social justice, spiritual fulfillment even, that if I'm trying to talk you out of flying an airplane, but I'm not coming from my vision of the more beautiful world, why should you listen to me? And anyway, we're all hypocrites. Like you said, you push the button for the coffee. I flew on a plane to Bali five weeks ago.
0: We are trying as best we know how to live in the stories that have been created for us, the stories we live in, the ones that are so insidious and and manifest themselves as the rules and the regulations and the laws, and you become an outlier if you decide to challenge those. Challenging them alone isn't enough. They're to your point. You've got to be able to offer the alternative that that will not only benefit you, but that will benefit the entire system. I believe that we are all doing legacy work, and no one should get frustrated because we haven't been able to change the world, change the system, change anything in this short amount of time that we've been awake or are still waking up. I believe legacy work is powerful because we may never see the outcome and yet it is something, in the words of many of my mentors, it is something we cannot not do. It is that purpose that's in us. We have to be this way. We have to do this thing. I'll share briefly that episode 11, which happened before episode 10, and I didn't bother to renumber it. I just left it that way because that's how it happened is called Ashes to Ashes, Stardust to Stardust. And I was watching TV one day. I was watching Neil deGrasse Tyson on the Weather Channel talking about our solar system. And I don't know why this never occurred to me before, but he was talking about the life cycle of our sun and that maybe five to seven million years from now the sun will turn into a red giant and suck in better half of the solar system. It had never occurred to me. That was such a huge disorienting event, such a Mm -hmm. shift in my story that I just began to cry and I couldn't stop. That's where Ashes to Ashes, Stardust to Stardust became real. And the interviewer says, well, why are we doing all this then? One day, even if it's in the far future, if one day we're just all going to burn up and it's going to be over, why are we even doing this? And the answer came back because there is technology we're going to need there there are brilliant minds that we need to not just save humanity if that's what we choose to do but to save humanity by saving what's beautiful in this world other living beings elements from this planet you know the people who are saving seeds collecting the seeds they're collecting them because one day they think they know this planet may not exist those trees may no longer exist, and there is a legacy that they're building of the beauty of this world. We get to save this world as humans, and the, the byproduct of that is we may get to save ourselves. It's not the other way around, yeah. at least not how I see it. A, a friend uh, said to me, "Oh my God, Linda, it's night. It's it's like five billion years from now. Get a life." <laughs> and I thought what if this is my life? I am supposed to hold these thoughts. It is mine, and and all my actions, everything that I do, whether it's forest therapy, or it's coaching, or it's my writing and podcasting, everywhere I go in the world, I take these beliefs that I've, you know, I've created through a speculative fiction, and I put them to the test in the world. And if it works for me if I can make this work, if somehow I become, I, I hate saying a better human being, if I become someone who does no harm in the world as a result of the beliefs that I hold, that's all I can really ask for. You know, I'm not better than someone. I'm not lesser than someone. I'm being who I am, and, and I'm being true to me. And the book and the podcasts Are about you being true to you, whatever that means, that there is room for the diversity that we all have, because without that, everybody becomes someone who thinks like me, and I just can't imagine a world like that. I can't. I wouldn't want a world like that. But we need to not separate ourselves and not silo ourselves. We need to accept it in a way that makes us all better at being human,
1: That's one of my favorite questions, Linda, is like, because the sun is going to give out one day in some fantastically dramatic fashion, and this earth will not survive that event if astronomers and astrophysicists are correct in their calculations, and I can only assume from viewing other parts of the known universe that they probably are, that this earth as we know it will cease to exist but your question about legacy gives us purpose right now. And we may never know, I, I'm sure of it. You and I will never know the real answer. Much as I'd love to know, <laughs> you know. Well,
0: not as Todd and Linda anyway. Not, not yeah. as
1: Todd and Linda, right. Not yeah, as so Todd and we'll Linda.
0: We'll keep the door open to possibility so we'll there. We'll
1: definitely keep that open. As Brian Swim says, you know, this is, I think he says, this is no, like I a,
0: love Brian Swim.
1: Oh, isn't he great? <laughs> Yeah, it, it I love him too. I think he says this is a 2 million year project that humans are having or at least language speaking humans is probably about a 250,000 year project but still it's a long project. And it,
0: it's exactly. Exactly. And 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 I think we're here to to extend that time. We're it's, it's so critical right now because of all the climate deniers. You know, if If we can extend time, even if it's a couple hundred years, Mm. that that gives us more opportunity to figure things out. Mm. And and I know that's probably not what everybody's thinking about when they get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And yet I really truly love to look at humanity and say we are here to extend the time we have before the inevitable happens, whatever the inevitable is. It's such a beautiful world hmm. to lose to lose the beauty of this world is just tragic beyond words for me
1: who who is reading this book? who do you want to have read this book and what kind very of very
0: courageous souls <laughs>
1: yeah i think I think that's a given yeah
0: i i think but you know it's such a tough question in in part the book was an honoring of the process to get it out there. And I do want people to read it. It is not only the 11 scripts, it's the pre and post production notes. It's some of my own annotation about the conversation. There are some things that didn't get included in the podcasts in the scripts Hmm. just for the sake of time. They are um, just chock full of information and it can be a little overwhelming at first. I, anybody who chooses to read it, just take your time with it. It's it's not something that's meant to be, you know, let's just breeze through this book. The questions for journaling at the end of every section are optional, you know, but, but to, to say, what how, what do you believe in, you know, about death? What do you believe about messengers in the world who are the messengers really trying you know who we often sacrifice because their story is so different you know who are the messengers who are who are here to to really offer us a new story about what love is about what life is and how does that play into your story if it does or if it doesn't and to really start to think about things because we're at a point where each and every one of us really does need to make a choice about that. Living in the I don't know or living in the in the, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm just going to go you know, go through the drive-through and get my latte and, and do all of that every day. That is right for some people because that, that's what they're here to do. But if you have a passion about wanting to write your own stories... And, and want maybe a jumping-off point, I think this is a great place to go. It's a great place to look. If you are curious about science and the sacred intermingling, to see, that, again, the three lenses, how it all fits together, I think this is a, uh, a great place to look. Rick Tamlin, who, again, wrote the, the forward to the book, uh, he, I, I really loved what he said the um and i'm going to quote him for a moment he said linda has become a thought leader or better yet a thought whisperer using other people's wisdom to create a superb speculative fiction for our time i was so honored by that but i love the idea of being a thought whisperer and yes i am using science i'm using spirituality i the references uh, the research i did for the book after that the 3 a.m. wake up calls i had to research Things I knew nothing about. And if you really fact check me, I may come up wanting and I'm okay with that because I'm really not trying to convince people. I really just want it to be that, you know, that that jumping off point, following, following your intuition, following your spiritual calling, whatever it is. It matters for the world and it matters for each and every one of us to be in that place, to not live our lives numb, to not live our lives just unconscious about everything. If you're writing tomorrow's story, my dedication in the book says, make it a good one.
1: Well, that speaks to me and I can't wait to read your book. I enjoy, I listened to the Divine Feminine podcast and that was very powerful. I just see and feel, Linda, in your voice and in your your language, how much you've poured your experience, your heart, your soul, your beautiful essence into this book. And what a beautiful encapsulation that you put together here. Um, and, and I love the idea, love, 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 that you put in questions for people to have their own journeys within the journey of the book. And I commend you for what you've done and uh, I just want to say I just really enjoy you. I love listening to your voice, I love your thought process, I love that you challenge and accept and your soul's purpose is evident in your human form. You know, you really are living your, your purpose and I don't know anything that could be better than that. <laughs> You know, I really, that just is so great.
0: Well, I'm honored. I'm, I'm really honored by all of that. And that's, that's all I'm going to say. And, it, it, the, you know, the journey continues too. It, it continues.
1: All right. Well, that's great. I really appreciate your time. And everyone should immediately get on Amazon.com and find In the Soul's Waiting Room by Linda Lombardo. I know Amazon also has something called Smile which you can also donate to your favorite charity when you buy something from Amazon. So I highly recommend you do that. Uh, maybe make a Pachamama Alliance donation <laughs> while you're at it. Nice, uh, very nice, yeah. I like that. I really appreciate your time, Linda. And is there anything else that you'd like to say?
0: Todd, I just wanna thank you for the time that you've given me. And I'm having so much fun working with you, with Edge Talkers. Pachamama Alliance has been so powerful for me over the years. I love the work that's done there. And now with the Pachacasters, Edge Talkers, you know, you awaken, inspire and activate me with your work and that we get to do it together. is just so delicious and delightful. So I want to thank you for that.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for saying that. And you were and are an integral part of Edge Talkers' birth and growth and you know, I'm very excited about some of the upcoming episodes that we have planned and really appreciate your, your efforts to make this thing successful and uh, wish you the best of luck with your book and your future podcasts. And-,
0: and I look forward to what's next, you know, more to come.
2: We are all in this together, all in this together.